0: The business really wasn't much to write home about. My old man had passed away when I was 15 and it was being run by his right-hand man. And the family was taking care of the business, but that's about it. It was myself and my three sisters acting as a board. And my oldest sister's husband was helping us out in that process. So it was really time to decide. At 26, I had to make a decision. It was just something I just let pass or is this something I pursue? And so I told Sandra, much to her dismay, I said, I'm going to go ahead and take a leave of absence from my job. I'm going to go back to Chicago for one month and I'm going to work in the factory for two days. I'm going to work in the office for two days. I'm going to make sales calls for a day. I'm going to do that for a month and I'm going to see if there's anything of value to this business. Welcome to Breaking Down Boxes.
1: I'm Gene Marino with Acres Packaging. And I'm Joe Morelli with Houston Patterson and Lewisburg Printing Company.
2: We have compelling conversations with successful entrepreneurs in the packaging space.
1: Excited to have Guy (laughs) and his son Eric here today. Oxbox, a great company in the Chicagoland area. Guy got to know you 12, 13 years ago now. You were kind enough to give me a tour of your place. I was struck by the difference in your business compared to the traditional businesses that we see within AICC. So I'm excited to dig in and hear all about your history your story, and now getting your son involved in the business as well.
2: Yeah, it'll be really exciting. I've known Guy a long time, and I agree, just a unique business model and what Oxbox provides to the market in general. And thank you both for joining us. We're just looking forward to a really healthy discussion about Family business and you two working together in concert and Guy, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you
0: tell us about the company and we'll get into your history a little bit. First, Gene, Joe, thanks for having both of us here. We appreciate the opportunity. BoxBox is what it has always been. It's all heavy duty industrial packaging. So it was that way when the business started somewhere in World War II, as a construction company started making wood boxes for the military. And so from making wood boxes for the military to making wood boxes for industry, and then ultimately making heavy-duty corrugated boxes with wood boxes for industry. It's a little fuzzy, but we're thinking that the timeline is somewhere in late 50s, early 60s. My grandfather was the contractor for the construction company. And, uh, he started making wood boxes for the military, probably like everybody else pointed their efforts during those years to support the war effort. And he had two sons, my uncle who came out of the Navy first and my father who came out second. And my uncle went into the construction business cause that was an active business back then. And my dad came back to what then was Ockerland Wood Products, which was the wood box business. It's interesting.
2: Back then, some of those markets, you said military obviously, but what other markets would be served
0: in the wood boxes back then? There was one market. There was <laughs> one market and one customer, from what I can understand, yeah, from history. It was Electromotive. Oh, interesting. So we made all the wood packaging for Electromotive in LaGrange. And uh, there may have been a handful of other smaller accounts, but on the 80-20 rule, this was the 99-1 rule, Yes, I think. So yeah, it was mostly that one account.
2: And when your father comes out and is running this business, obviously he starts a
0: family and you are one of... Four? I'm last of four. Oh, and the only boy. Interesting. Which does not help masculinity any, but (laughs) but my friends beat the crap out of me and kind of I came around after a while. Perfect. You left the Midwest to go away to school? I did. I went to the University of Minnesota and did that for three years and got a taste of teaching skiing there at Buck Hill, plug for Buck Hill, Burnsville, (laughs) Minnesota. So I decided with another year left of school, I was going to go out to Colorado, teach skiing or ski and finish school up. And uh, that's the way I was going to play it. Life played out a little different. I went out to Colorado, met my wife, and we married about six months later. So not too much skiing involved in that <laughs> program, but, but I did enjoy Colorado. I loved it. So. But
2: a fair amount of skiing. I've skied with both of these gentlemen and I can tell you that we were in Squaw Valley and it was, it was about 2007 or eight. These two convinced me into going to the top of the mountain. They just had four feet of snow and we get up there. Eric takes off the chair at a solid 70 miles an hour is, is what it looks like to me. And guy yells out a woo, let's go and cuts after Eric. And I get out of the chair and go maybe about five, 600 yards and fall and spent the next two hours digging myself out of four feet of snow while these two were down the mountain. So that was the first and last time I ever skied with the two of them. Sounds
0: about right. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Just an add on to that story. I'm chasing Eric down the hill. I tumble head over tea kettle. And I hear laughing. The whole chairlift was laughing at me. No, it was my son laughing at me. <laughs> this <Right>. is true. <laughs> so that's how that went. Perfect, right, right. perfect. I feel much better knowing that that's the tail end of that story. <laughs> right, he still does that today. They go
2: way too fast. There is just one direction and it's directly down the mountain.
1: Take us back to when you were a kid. Yeah, I imagine you grew up around the business. Yeah, I worked at the business. My first
0: job, on the weekends I would go in and run some of the nailing equipment. My dad's right-hand man was a Navy guy. And he would love to take me out there and operate the nail machines. I'm 13 years old. I had no business on these machines, but safety was different back then. (laughs) Yes, it was. I would do that. I got a little taste for the business. But my first job was working construction. I did that at 15 years old. Did that for a year, and realized that's really hard work. Construction (laughs) is really difficult. And so uh, the next summer, I actually started working for the business.
2: Are you getting paid? You're. The son of the owner, is this just free labor at this point?
0: At 13, it was free labor. The people who lost fingers, it was paid back just for that. (laughs) Anybody who worked around me, I was generally a hazard. But after that, whatever minimum wage was, is what I got. That's perfect. Yeah. What did you go to study in at Minnesota? I studied marketing in Minnesota, not very well. Was not a great student at Minnesota. (laughs) C's and D's, get degrees, my friend. Yeah, C's and D's, (laughs) right, run these businesses. When I left Minnesota and went out to Colorado, my intent was to screw around, ski, and then somehow end up with a degree after a year. But getting married changes a lot of that. And so I got pretty serious. And if anybody here has transitioned schools, you know that they usually tell you it's a year left to go. And when you get to the new one, you got about three years left to guess. go. So I packed about three years of college and about a year and a half. And, but I was pretty serious at that point. I thought it was a pretty decent student in Denver.
2: And we've both met your lovely wife, Sandra, so we understand how you figured you needed to get your act together a little bit.
0: Yeah, she puts the whip <laughs> to me pretty good. So, yeah,
2: yeah. We, yeah, we see where the brains of the family come from.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to keep up. Yeah, right. that's a good man. At that point, were you thinking about the family business? You know, not really. Truth be told, Sandra was in hospitality. That's where we met. She was a supervisor back then for one of the conference facilities, and I had actually—that's how we met—as I worked for her rolling conference tables. And her career was taken off, so she got an opportunity to go out to Washington D.C., and we chased it out there. And I got my first couple jobs out in Washington D.C. after graduating. The business really wasn't much to write home about. My Old man had passed away when I was 15, and it was being run by his right-hand man. And the family was taking care of the business, but that's about it. So it was only doing maybe a million, two million in sales, just basically keeping its head above water. And that really wasn't that interesting to me at that point. How do you decide uh, to come back and kick the tires? What ended up happening was we had just bought a house in D.C. We were pretty much kind of setting our life to go in that direction. How old were you at this point? I think I was 26. Um, But the family had a meeting and we said, okay, maybe it's time to shut what was then Ockerland Industries and move on to something else. When you say the family, who else was involved? It was myself and my three sisters acting as a board. And my oldest sister's husband was helping us out in that process. So it was really time to decide. At 26, I had to make a decision. Was this something I just let Pass or is this something I pursue? And so I told Sandra, much to her dismay, I said, I'm going to go ahead and take a leave of absence from my job. I'm going to go back to Chicago for one month and I'm going to work in the factory for two days. I'm going to work in the office for two days. I'm going to make sales calls for a day. I'm going to do that for a month and I'm going to see if there's anything of value to this business. The shop floor was a disaster. The front office was chaotic, but made some sense. But one thing I did notice when I would, I would go on on sales calls, I would do all on my own telemarketing, basically setting appointments and I'd go on and see either existing customers or new customers. And one thing I quickly learned was that the company had a really good name in the business, people loved. Ockerland Industries. They thought we did great work. They'd obviously never been in the
1: shop before. to see what it really looked (laughs) like. So I thought it had legs. What about Sandra at the time? She, I assume, had a good job. She was not happy about that. We just bought a house. Kind of glossed over them.
0: She was looking for me to come back and say, you're right, that place blows. We're going to close it. But I did just the opposite. I came back and said, look, I think this thing could really make some money, but we're going to make a lot of changes. We've got to pour ourselves into it. Can't do it remotely. I got to be here. What year is that? Year on the calendar, I don't know, but I was 26 at that point. When I came back to the business, that was 1991. I was 27, if I get this all right. So that's when we made the decision to come back this way. And that came back kicking and screaming (laughs) a little bit, but we made it work.
2: One interesting piece I'd like to go back to. So you do this month, and I'm assuming you meet with your siblings prior to coming home. No, I did not. Okay, so you went home first, Yeah, convinced Sandra that you're going to do this. Yeah. And then you informed the family, hey, I'm going to come back and take yeah. a run at this. Interesting. What was their take on that?
0: They're not very happy.
2: Interesting, because they just,
0: they're ready to be out of it. Yeah, because they either had already convinced themselves that they wanted to shut it down or convince themselves they wanted to do something else with it. Because none of them are involved in the business? They were not involved in the business. Interesting. And, uh, and I could see their point. And when I came back and said, look, I'm going to make a go at this, the family met and they said, look, we don't have the money to pay you. And I said, that's fine. I said, I'll just work on a commission. So I just, I would do whatever I needed to do in the shop and whatever I needed to do in the office. And I would just earn my keep by making commissions on
1: box sales. So I did that for about two years, actually. When you made this decision to leave probably a comfortable job in DC, mm-hmm. to come back on no salary. and and convinces Brian to quit her great job, come back to Chicago. And oh, did I mention, by the way, I'm full
0: commission. Sandra's not delicate, but I will tell you that when I showed her the house I rented when
1: we moved back here, I'm pretty sure I saw a little tear come out of her eye just as a glimpse. (laughs) On a scale of one to ten, how confident were you that this was going to work? I had about a... Good 5%.
0: I was, <laughs> he was closing in on six.
1: With every day
0: that passed, no, truth be told, I thought the business could make it. It didn't have any debt. That was the thing we had going for mm. us. The Factory wasn't anything to write home about, but I used to laugh with customers all the time that I wanted to put the sign in the front, don't laugh, it's paid for. And that was our thing. That was,
1: that was our key to making it. And I've learned a lot from that. What was the biggest attraction to coming back and leaving your comfortable lifestyle? Was it the carry on the family legacy. It was. There was no getting around it. And I I really don't have any love loss for any of that stuff
0: anymore. And I'm surprised that was my main motivation back then. But truth be told, I came back because I figured, you know what, I'm going to give it one good shot. And if it doesn't work, It doesn't work. I won't have any regrets. Yeah.
2: So So you're commissioned for a couple of years and did you have to start to buy out family members or did you now say, I've got some nice traction going here. I want to buy out
0: family members. There wasn't much choice on that. The family met and uh, once I had positioned myself as to what I wanted to do, they said, we're out then. Oh, you're 26. 27 you really don't know what you're doing interesting and the truth is they were right i (laughs) really didn't know what i was doing that's correct but i was willing to do it anyway and two of the four were not interested in staying on the bus which was fine there wasn't a whole lot of cash that we had but we had to structure a deal uh, a three-year buyout wow so so that happened i came back in 91 and in 93 we had that done
1: did that impact your relationship with your sisters at the time was a tough time with you guys
0: yeah Yes, it did. It was very difficult. I, I'm the poster child for family business, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we did it all. We didn't miss any of the beats. There were some hard feelings on how it went down. I won't get into all the details, but it was, it's the same old story. It's everybody's story. It's, yep. If you don't have a documented plan, get ready for a fight. Yep. And that's what happened. And so and my sister, Chris, my oldest sister, whose husband was looking after the business, he had mother designs for the business that I didn't agree with, and they're There was the rub right there. And of course she trusted him. He was older than I was. He was way smarter than I was. And he was the the provider of her family. And everybody in our family looked up to him, especially after my father had passed away. When I wanted to go a different direction, that was difficult for the whole family. Nobody understood that. My sister, Chris, had passed away now. Luckily, I got a chance to, you know. Kind of tie that off.
2: That's good. Yeah, Like you said, unless there's a document that clearly specifies on a quantitative basis what the buy-sell looks like, it's never going to go smoothly. And even to that extent, one of our previous guests, BJ Slater, talked about the fact that he just in the process of trying to put a document in place became extremely challenging. And that was with his father yeah. and, and his uncle. So
0: it's never an easy scenario. Well, we can move beyond this subject, but the biggest challenge is that, Gina, if you aren't gonna put a deal together, it might be difficult, but we'd figure it out, right? You do it with family and family knows how to cut each other. And so that all comes in, all that personal stuff enters the arena and it's, that's what makes it hard. And you're the baby. And I'm the baby. And they had looked at me as, the baby for a long time. And certainly I can completely understand where they were coming from. So that's why we just had to structure a deal and move on. I was able to convince one of the family members, my sister just older than me, to hang in there. Because I couldn't have done it with three of the four, but I knew I could financially swing it with two out of the four. Did you have kids at the time yet or close? Actually, Eric was born in Wheaton in 93. So yeah, Sanders pregnant and then we're putting this deal together. And then Eric's born and I'm not kidding. I think we were signing documents like as that was all happening.
2: Like most of us, I think there's a desire to bet on yourself. I think you just the way you described what you did in that month, I appreciate so much because it's really that old analogy of if you can make a good beef sandwich, but you have a lousy beef stand, you can fix that. And to your words, the customers loved us. Yeah. There was stuff that could be fixed behind the curtain, and I really like that. But betting on yourself and the young family and relocating and transition and all this, was your
0: relationship healthy with Sandra? You guys were on par? I'm fortunate because Sandra's a, much more of a fighter than I am. So there was two people that were in my corner the whole time, which was my grandmother and Sandra. So no matter how bad it got, I knew I could have somebody with the towel in my corner of the ring and that's how
2: it worked. So you close this thing and I think there's a lot going on than just buying the business, right? Cause there's building transition. And
0: amen, it was half the building, half the business at the same time.
2: So now you have it. And is your sister that's stuck with you active in the business? No.
0: So it's mailbox money for her.
2: So what's yours and you get to take a breath for about a half a second. And now you've got debt, which you haven't had in a while. Yep. Still betting on yourself, obviously, but did you have to take a step back and say, okay, does it change my strategy or my focus
0: or how I'm going to spend my time? How did you lay all that out for yourself? No, I, the one thing that I've, I've had going for me, whether my plan was good or my plan was bad, I always had a plan. And I always was one of those who I would just kind of look past the crowd and just look where I was going all the time. And so that helped me a lot. And the deal that we structured with the family was a little scary in that and they would have loved to see seen me, you know, trip over myself, sure. I'm sure. Because if I had missed a payment by a day, it was spelled out in black and white. I lost everything. Wow. wow. Yeah, no pressure. You know, why you ski
2: straight down the mountain now? I really i am <laughs> absorbing a little bit more of this.
0: Yeah. So there... Was some anxious moments but uh, the plan that we had for the business was always the same it never changed it always stayed where we wanted the business to go coming out of your
2: marketing background and then coming back into the business and wearing all these different hats where do you feel the most comfortable where is like your sweet spot that that you feel has made such a
0: lasting impact in where you've taken this company i think that probably my biggest contribution to the business has been a marketing direction. Okay, what is Oxbox good at? What do we do better than anybody else? What do customers think about us? What do customers think we do better than everybody else? And that's what we're gonna do. Love it. And to hell with everything else. Cause there's a million ways in business and even in this industry to get off track and to do stuff that you shouldn't be doing. And opportunities come and go and you just have to be dedicated and you just gotta stick with the plan. That's one thing that I think we've always done very well is we've stuck with the plan.
1: Take us back to when you closed on the deal. It's your company to run now. The pressure is now on you. You got to make these payments, as you said. Yeah. What was the financial stability of the company at the time? Were you guys healthy? Were you guys growing? Or were you? Were there moments where you were, were worried about making those payments? Cash flowed okay. The P&L was nothing ever to write home about, but the cash flow was good. We always could pay our
0: bills. We easily could sock away money for this. And we were like squirrels that way. If we knew we had a payment to make. We would just start putting it aside huge. into a savings account. And at the end of the month, okay, that's the money that was supposed to be for the payment. Boom, it's already there. I don't have to worry about it. And you had some big customers at the time. We had retained the Electromotive account. They changed from General Motors to some private equity and back and forth and whatever. They had stuck with us. So that was the cornerstone that we could build from. And then we had maybe, I don't know, 10 other good size accounts that we could rely on for consistent annuity kind of business we weren't always having to hunt to eat every day there was good annuity business coming in it was good for us because i was out there knocking on doors and that annuity business that we had was paying the bills so it enabled us to go and take some flyers on some stuff that maybe weren't wasn't going to hit for six months or a year. Did you suffer from that post-election 2000, 2001
2: softening? Did you see some impact from there? Were you in better shape because the family had been paid
0: off at that point? Okay, so let me get my year straight here. 9-11 occurred what year? 2001. Okay, 911 decimated our company. And it did so because we started making a product for a company that I had pursued and finally landed and did a lot of work for. We made a collapsible aircraft container for United Airlines and about five other carriers after that. And while it was 20% of our revenue, it was 80% of our profit. I won't go into the details of how profitable that box was, but it was one of those you wanna hang on to. Game changer. It was a game changer for us. And all of my sales efforts went into that industry for years probably from 95 all the way right up until 9-11 when 9-11 happened if you guys recall it changed the face of the airline industry no more did you look up in the sky and see wide-body planes going from chicago to new york everything took the southwest model right everything was narrow-body planes Our box went in the belly of wide body planes. And it was meant for high season replacement of the aluminum aircraft containers. So when that occurred, it was game over. It was that quick? It was just like somebody hit a a light switch. So our profit was decimated. Our sales were affected. You have to lay people off? Half of the whole company in 30 days. Mm. Holy crap. Yep. Yeah, We didn't waste any time. We knew death was on the door. So yeah, it was very difficult. 91 to 01, now you're 36 years
2: old. You've been slaving away at this thing. Yeah. And you've had some really nice growth. Are you freaking out at all? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that.
0: That was probably the first time where I, you're looking down the volcano and you're wondering, okay, well, how is this gonna happen? And it was at that point that we had to reimagine the business. And ironically, we reimagined the business to what it was before. We pursued all this business right back to wood boxes and corrugated boxes, Bread and butter. Right back to bread and butter. The problem with bread and butter is it paid the lights, but it didn't pay for anything else.
1: <laughs> so it was, it was challenging. When we talk about these things in these podcasts, I always like to spin it to the personal side and yeah. the pressure that it might have put on you and the family at home. Eric, seven, eight years old at that time, I imagine, by this point. You probably had no idea yet. (laughs) I had no idea what was going on. But you got a young family and you got to worry about obviously your entire livelihood at that point. What kind of pressure at home were you feeling?
0: Our shop used to be in Forest Park and our first house was in Hoffman Estates. And then we had later moved up into Barrington, but that, that drive home at hour I had in front of me in the windshield was my chance to let it all go. And not talk about it. And mm. honestly, I never talked about the business at home throughout that whole period. That's crazy. There was two reasons I did it. Sandra had other things going on. She's got two kids to raise. She was active in what she was doing. And maybe selfishly that I just didn't want to relive the whole day all yeah. over again. You don't mind talking about your victories. The other stuff, not so much fun. <laughs> so that's what we did. And that's really how we lived. We were very separate from professional business to the house. talked about something before when I was asking
2: you about your background of the marketing side. And one of the things you said that I don't want to miss an opportunity to talk about is just that uh, you're focused on not chasing the shiny stuff. You said, this is what we're good at. This is what our customers think we're good at. And that's just, that is is missed on a lot of people. And they fear when a customer says, hey, can you make a Y instead of X? They feel that they'll lose the business if they say no. But in reality, when they're the very best at making X, that's what the customer is desirous of. So I commend you on that focus. It's pretty important. So you go back to where you got your start and I assume slowly rebuild a little bit of momentum over time. And then and then 08 hits.
0: Well, once the business stopped making mailbox money for my partner, my sister, cars stopped, salary stopped. Some stuff that was just known perks had to stop. That created some problems. So... On the heels of losing an entire industry, I had to buy another shareholder out. So in 2005, we put a deal together to start that plan in motion. But one of the things I knew was that the space we were in, there was gonna be no grow in the business. It was gonna always basically keep the lights on in the space we were in. But I was fortunate that one day, somebody walked right in the front door and walked right over to my desk and said, the most lovely words you ever want to hear. And that is, can I buy your property? Yeah, And it was like a godsend. And so we were the last piece of the puzzle of four different buildings for a residential conversion. And so we held out for about six months until the price got to where it was easy to say yes. And uh, then I had to convince my sister to take the deal, which they didn't want to take the deal, which was... Crazy, a whole nother talk show. Crazy because somebody at one point told me about a year earlier on that property. Uh, because I knew we had to move to a bigger space, they said, "Guy, you should donate it and take the <laughs> and take the tax right off." So a year later, somebody's looking to give us real money for this thing, and we rolled that up into the part of the deal. So I was able to not only get out of the partnership on the property, but I was able to bring all those shares back in at the same time.
1: Good for you. When this was all going down, did you have anybody mentor you to talk to? Or was this just you flying by the seat of your pants? Doing- you know what?
0: I was very fortunate. It, I always, you know, my friends were either running businesses or involved in business, so I could talk to them a little bit, but where I really got a lot of support, I was members of the family business council in Chicago. And that was big for me. Every 30 days we'd have a forum meeting. I would sit down with other business owners, not of the same business of varying businesses, and we do what we're doing today. You tell your story and you give an update best and worst for the last 30 days. If it was your day to present, you'd present your issue and then you'd go on a retreat once a year and the retreat once a year was diving in a little deeper on some of that business personal stuff. And I, and then it was away from the presentation times where you really got to talk about, okay, what's. What are my problems? What's the stuff I don't want to talk about at home?
2: It's crazy. Yeah, it's very akin to a board of directors for the business, the family dynamic and the personal dynamic for you, which is helpful because you need a sounding board. You can't go to the production manager and say, Hey, I'm thinking about buying out my sister. What do you think? And look at you and say, yeah, wait, (laughs) I'm looking to you for direction. You can't come to me for it.
0: I will say, and I'll give him credit. He's not here today with us, but one of the guys I was very fortunate that was in my forum was Jim Leotode. Oh, wow. So he's the guy, he is the man. And I got some really great feedback. His company was Capsonic, was it not? Capsonic, you bet. Yeah. That
2: was a part supplier to the automotive industry and a family business that he grew in quite a sizable business. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, so that was very helpful.
1: When
0: did you head to Addison? So 2005, we shut the door behind us in Forest Park and then moved to Addison. And uh, facility big enough for what I thought was forever.
1: Eric and I are finding today that maybe not be the case, <laughs> as he usually tells me. And you mentioned earlier, you went back to your roots in terms of industrial packaging and corrugated. How long until you really started to take off again, or how long did it take you before you really felt comfortable again as a business? It was a
0: slow grind. At that point, we were... probably 50 50 wood products and corrugated and even though wood products is where the business started it was and is difficult to make a lot of money in that industry only in that even if you've got high margin products your contribution per hour is slow Mm -hmm. because you're only making a wood box every 15 20 30 minutes and even if you're making $50 on that box it still takes you an hour or yes. Or half an hour to make it, whatever. So the corrugated products, we knew that's where our future was. The challenge was we had to pack down a little bit more debt with the the new deal that we put together with my sister. I had to buy her out and we had not great equipment. The equipment we had was the same equipment we had in Forest Park. Yeah. We would pick up little pieces here and there that we could afford, but we were trying to grow the business. We were in a, an Car race in a go-kart for sure. <laughs> for sure.
2: So been in this since 91, and we're going to get to this young man's story and when he leaves the house to go to college and, and come back to the business, but I always... Like to look at the dynamics, and maybe we could get to this a little later, but fresh blood, new blood, and you what you've seen, what you've gone through, what you've had to do to keep the business on track and be successful, you still open and have an appetite for
0: risk? Is it changing? Are you becoming more averse as you get older, as we get older? Yeah, I guess maybe yes is the answer, but it, it does bring us to Eric. Maybe it was six years ago that we had dinner with Jeff Quinn and some other folks. It was a Christmas dinner here at Region Six. Mm -hmm. And Jeff was across the table from me and he was talking about some fancy French machine that could do this stitching faster than anybody else in the world. And and talking to Sander, Sander was getting all excited about it, which surprised me. (laughs) On the drive home, I said, that's a really expensive piece of equipment. That will be by far If you added up everything we have in the shop, that machine is twice as much as that. (laughs) If not more. If not more. (laughs) More. If not more. Yeah, I know Eric's right. It is more. But we got to talking and that's where we started putting this together that, hey, look, now it's time to reach out to Eric. If Eric is interested in this business, it's time to understand that. And if that's what we're going to do, it's time to start building this into something that he'll be proud of and that he'll want to jump into. And I went to see that machine run. It was the first one of its kind in the United States in Schenectady, New York. And this is exactly how this played out. We saw the machine on the one day. The next morning, I'm to meet the person who is showing me this machine. I called Sandra and I had the conversation with her. This is what I saw. I think it's fantastic. It's everything that they said it was, but this is the price tag and we got to make a decision. And I called Eric from the hotel lobby. And the conversation went something just like this. I said, okay, this is it. We've been talking about you coming back to the business. I'm about to meet with somebody right now. It's either yay or nay. What are we doing? (laughs) Yeah. And Eric says, okay, Pop, I'm in. That's awesome. And so the sales rip came. I signed the paper. A little bit later, we're starting to grow this business. The machine is getting ready. And it was just one of those weeks where I was taking on a lot of different responsibilities and i think i just called eric and said okay
3: are you coming or not yeah you hung up the phone call i packed up all my stuff into the car
2: so i want to put a pin in this right here so you had said something that got my mind rolling and that's that we had been talking about eric coming into the business so let's back up a little bit introduce this young man so eric it's great to have you as well great to be here obviously your summers as a kid working on the floor
3: yeah, in high school, after I got my driver's license, I was working on the shop floor nailing pallets together. Pretty much same routine that <laughs> he got put through, and I didn't really think much of it. I was immature. I was stupid. I was a little high schooler. Sure. So the times I did show up to work, I would <laughs> I was I was nailing pallets together. I like the honesty. But I was nailing pallets together. And I think I worked two summers and just learned like the basics of, yeah, okay, this sure. is what these guys do every day.
1: You probably weren't even thinking about long-term career. You're probably thinking, get a couple bucks in my pocket, find some money to ski during the winter.
2: Yeah, exactly. What made you go out to Regis, to school? What was it that appealed to you? Was it to get out west? Skiing. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I
1: can, that, make, that makes sense Yeah, to me.
3: Skiing, snowboarding, it, realistically everything out there. I've always wanted to go out there.
1: At what point did you sit down and say, man, maybe one day I'd like to get back involved with my dad's business or work with my dad, or was there ever a moment? I
3: honestly did not think about it really whatsoever. And until I got the call from him saying, this is what we're thinking about doing. Are you in, are you out? And Colorado, I was already getting a little sick of it. I was getting used to it. Skiing all the time wasn't wasn't as exciting as it once was. I feel like I was just treading water like I realized something needed to change.
2: What year is that when the call gets made and you start talking about 2017, if
3: I'm not mistaken.
1: Guy, this is something that had obviously been rolling around in your head and you and Sandra had been talking about this in the years leading up to the time he was ready to come work for you. I had always envisioned
0: we'd keep the business in the family.
1: We never really talked about
0: it that much. It was just one of those things I just believed. I didn't build the business for sale. It wasn't one of the things I was interested in, or had any knowledge of or expertise in. So I was a plugger. I just would go and work every day. And in the back of my head, I thought, okay, maybe a romantic notion, but I thought it would just stay in the family.
2: Yeah, that's neat. So you get the second call and it's, hey, I'm up to my eyeballs, pack up, come home. And you just come home.
3: Yeah, so I'm in Colorado. I just pretty much packed up my car in four hours, put everything I could fit into my little Volkswagen, drove home 10 hours, 11 hours straight through and was at the shop the next morning. And that was my first day and I've been working there since.
2: So obviously having an extra set of hands, important, somebody you could trust, your own son, but all you've done is knock around the plant, maybe 20 hours a week for a couple summers, maybe more. How do you start a cadence and you got to learn the business a little bit?
3: more in-depth in high school i was on the tables i was doing manual labor the next step was okay this is what it takes to build the product what does it take to run the shop floor what does it take to manage the shop floor so that was my next big step and it was shop floor management along with scheduling along with learning all the machines and the capabilities of every machine how long each job is going to take and all that it was a great next-stepping step. Yeah,
1: And that was all self-driven by you. You said to yourself, I'm going to dive right in. And-. No, that was
3: my father's plan for me because he knew I was already out on the tables, started from the bottom, and then he gave me the next step up.
2: I suspect that you had alluded earlier, you have this ability to look down the road and see where you want to go. It's probably a strength of yours that now you can put a plan in place for Eric to really start to understand all the aspects and facets of this business.
0: While it may not be formalized, you know, Eric and I talk a lot about, okay, what are the stuff that you're learning and what are we gonna learn next? And day one, when he came back, it's would say, look, you gotta learn how to run these machines. If these guys don't show up, somebody's gonna know how to set up and run these machines. And aside from that, I need somebody to supervise this floor. Somebody's gotta run that production schedule so that we've got a plan on what we're going to run. So he had to do kind of double duty on the shop floor. He had to learn the machines, run them, and then run our scheduler at the same time.
1: One of the coolest parts of one of our previous podcasts with DJ Slater is when he said when he returned to the family business, the people on the floor remembered him as the kid that was showing up once in a while, that was goofing off a little bit and not really yet focused on the business. And Here he came back to the business, ready to run the company. And it took a little transition for people within the company to take him serious. Was there any of that for you?
3: Obviously, a lot of the guys that were still there remembered me from high school. And instead of having me go in and just go straight to being a supervisor or immediately above them or something, I feel like my father did it the right way. He did it in a way where it was, okay, this is your first step. Now this is your second step. So the guys on the shop floor saw that I wasn't brought in and just gave some position up at the top immediately. They understood I had to learn and work to make my keep.
2: So in in some of your development, how did you come to know more about the industry?
3: Through AICC, they offered the packaging school. It's basically a great kind of get your foot in the door. For anyone who, you know, is coming out of college or anyone that's going into packaging that is a green thumb, has no idea what anything means, no idea what board liner, no idea of any of that. It teaches you all of that. But teaches you pretty much everything you need to know. And I feel like it really helped my growth personally.
2: Where do you feel your biggest strengths lie now five years in the business and really spending a lot of time in this designed albeit informal, plan to understand all the functional areas of the business? Where do you really enjoy and like to spend your time?
3: Truth be told, I like problem solving. I'm, I'm very good with problem solving. I understand machinery decently well enough to where if something's going wrong with the machine, I'll be out there with the maintenance guy. As far as like the schedule goes, I'll apply that to the schedule. How can I make this setup any shorter than the setup previously if I have like items, I'm going to put them with like items. I just tried to make pretty much everything as cut and dry as possible and as quickly to get through the shop floor as I could. Do
2: you think, again, it's only been five years, but where do you feel you'd like to see more growth from yourself in? Or do you guys have those kinds of conversations as well? The sales aspect of the business, the planning and strategy, the finance side. Are, are those of interest? How do you work through covering
3: all of those areas. We talk about what my next steps might be. It's nothing like a formal conversation. It's, hey, I'm interested in this. This is what I want to learn. Nice. And he has an idea when he wants to teach me this stuff, what should come first. So when I bring up, I want to get more into this, it's usually, okay, let's let's start with this and then we'll slowly get you into that.
1: Yeah. What kind of challenges have there been between the- (laughs) That was exactly where I was going. You want to tell him the honest answer?
3: (laughs) 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 I can leave the room. You can have that. No, you guys would be surprised. He's my father. We can look at each other and pretty much tell, okay, I know he's upset. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. Us being able to read each other helps a lot. It's not like what people picture as a family business like people bickering and treating each other like they're at home. arguing. We don't really keep it formal. We act pretty much the same way we do at home that we do at the office. We just are talking about different things.
1: Ever been a time, Guy, where you've had to say, whoa, young fella, pump the brakes. We'll get to that. Not really. Actually, the,
0: the dynamic between Eric and I is interesting in that there's a lot of times where, especially with how demanding the business has been for the last couple of years, like everybody. We're putting 75 pounds in a 20-pound sack, like every day, right? And we're trying to do the best we can for our customers. And uh, there are some times where I will be honest, I've been way over my skis, and Eric will pull me aside and go, okay, Time to talk you off the ledge. Your, your head is about to explode. And so that's really been good. It's not that I'm had to tell Eric, look, you're not ready for that. If he's ready for something, I'll let him jump right in. It's fine. I don't have a problem with that, but it's interesting that the dynamic is reversing. He can see me where I'm at my edge and he's been able to go, okay time for you to back up a little bit. I think what's there's a couple of things that are so vital. I think
2: just the way you expressed coming into the business and being 26 years old and really not knowing anything about it and having to figure it out. I think changes your perspective in your son with respect to, I was making these decisions and really had to use my best judgment to do it. And it's the easy answer to go, you're not ready for that. And yes. So you weren't ready for it when you did it. And so your ability to allow that to organically take form, I think is important. There are way too many scenarios of you're not ready. But when you look back in your own rear view mirror, it's just, holy crap. I mean, yeah. How did that even work out? I took a flyer <laughs> on that. And so I think that's such an important aspect. And I think the other thing is there was, I facilitated an AICC meeting a long time ago. We had father, son, folks on the panel, and one of them was very blunt and matter of fact about, they'd go behind closed doors and yell and scream at each other. That negatively impacts the office. So to the extent that you guys can read each other and know where you are, I think is very healthy because as a leadership team goes, so goes the business. And when we think for a second that your entire office doesn't know when father and son just, just MF'd each other for the last <laughs> half hour, and they walk out like everything's rosy, we're sorely mistaken. So I think that's really a nice nuance that you have as well.
1: Guy, I have to imagine it's given you a big boost in your arm and energy for the business to help it grow and succeed because you're Future generation is That's exactly right. Look, I'm blessed.
0: I, my son likes the business plus for me, right? He's good at the business plus for me. And he likes learning new things about it. And it's in his wheelhouse. He says he's comfortable with the machinery side of the business. He's being modest. Eric can look at a machine and know how they work. We bought a machine. Well, I'll kind of brag on you a little bit. We bought a machine last summer. I don't know shit about machines. I never have, but we bought a machine last summer because we needed one, because we had a new press coming in and we needed something to get us through that transition. And we went and looked at it, but it was
3: in pieces. It, wasn't yeah, it was just an, It was just a pile.
0: It was just a pile. But I knew the name and I thought, okay, the name sounds pretty good. We had the thing brought back to the shop and Eric and our maintenance guy put that thing together with five pictures. That's all we had. was five pictures of this machine. Stacker the whole nine yards. That's huge. It's like Ikea directions. The other interesting part, too, is to
2: your point of his energy, Guy just celebrated his 92nd birthday, so he looks 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 fantastic. I know, I
0: know. I look uh, look great for 35.
2: (laughs) That's pretty amazing. That's a great story. That's a credit to your passion for the business. That's neat. Thank you.
1: You didn't get a chance to work with your father. No. Obviously, so it's got to be pretty special to to work with you.
0: It is. Sometimes you don't... You kind of look back and take the memory in as it says it's happening. because a lot of times we blow through this stuff and then later I can look back and go, wow, this is really a neat experience. I can't believe we've arrived here that the market picked up in a way where automation and machinery are the key to our survival, probably everybody's. Yeah. And just as God would have it, I've got a son who loves that. And is good at it. And we've put more stuff on the shop floor in the last two years. It's a laundry list of stuff. And before that might've made me a little nervous, not so much the financial commitment, but who the hell's going to know how to run all this stuff? CAD tables and you name it. Right. And it comes in and Eric figures it out. Yeah, I got it. I got this figured out. I'll be making samples in two hours. And sure enough, we are. You
2: talked about your ride home and the ability to shed and not relive the day. How do you manage that when you're together now? Do you talk business? Do you guys try to keep it separate from the personal side? How do you manage something like that? I think we
0: talk about it a lot.
3: Yeah, we talk about it all the time. We'll be talking on the phone. I'll give him a call Saturday, Sunday, and we'll talk about what we're doing that day. And then something will come to mind about the shop and I'll bring that up. We'll talk about the stuff that we need to get into next week. Stuff that we're thinking about doing in the future. And it's all just casual, normal yeah. conversation. None of it's forced. Yeah.
1: If you guys are riding up the chairlift together today, it's obviously an off weekend and you guys are out skiing. Is the conversation centered around Oxbox? Part of it.
3: Yeah, part of it. It'll and it's just natural. He and I are both addicted to our email. In a way, so even though we're on vacation, we'll both be looking at our emails and I'll go, Hey, did you yeah. see this from this?
0: Unless there's a really good yard sale, oh, yeah. yeah, on the chairlift? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's that's something fair. to really look at. Yeah. We're <laughs> probably going to stop and pay attention. That's, that's right, that's right. Gene. <laughs> that's you're watching, Gene, that's probably me,
3: <laughs> or unless <laughs> I fill my snowboard full of snow and, and flip it up in my face, <laughs> or wait for people to come down under <laughs> right. and try to kick it onto them. That's right. the only right. time we're yeah. not talking about right. business, right?
2: I get, I grant you that. How is uh. Eric's decision-making skills growing, how, if you could make a percentage guess of what he is making independent of you in his kind of growth as a leader, where is he in that spectrum?
0: I think his decision-making is good. And the best example I can give you is Eric, he manages the shop floor, does all of our scheduling with our supervisor. And whether I'm there or not, we're having to make decisions on the shop floor of how do we prioritize this work? And of course you're trying to run the machines as efficiently as they can. And I totally understand that. But then on top of that too, you'll often look at stuff and say, look, that's a top 10 account. That's got to get in here. And so it's not like he's blindly just putting stuff through the equipment. That's just the best possible runners. He also is taking into account that, yeah, we've got a lot of new customers right now, but these are the ones who got us here and we got to take care of those. Yeah. So you're pleased with the way he thinks through it and the decisions that he's making. Yeah. Sometimes I'm the one who kind of gets off track a little bit and I want to go satisfy that new customer. And he's got to say, hey, Pop, that's a brand new customer. We've made commitments for with these customers for 20 years and yeah. they're first. And, and I think he's right. So all comedy aside, how old are you today? 57.
3: <laughs> Had to think about that one for yeah. a second. Uh-huh. 57.
2: <laughs> and has it ever come up where Eric says, How long do you want to do this for? And or you say to, to Eric, I think I got another 10 years in me. Have you guys had any dialogue at all about transition of leadership or daily performance or anything like that? But we have not. No. Interesting. Should we do it right now? Sure. Not, I'm just... <laughs> I mean, truth
3: be told, I don't want to think about that. Yeah. You know, I, I love working with my old man. And that's something I'd, I'd rather not think about.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, until he's ready to kick me out the front door. So Also <laughs> yeah. also true.
3: I'll always keep you with your little office, even though yeah. you don't have to do anything, <laughs> just so you feel like you're still important. But well, You'd
0: be surprised. I've
2: seen a lot of generational owners walking in at 90 years old with a newspaper under the arm, and they're just happy doing that. And I've also seen the flip side of that, where they want to make every decision. It's an interesting dynamic of that tight-fisted control but it seems to me, just in your five years, that you're happy to have the support and the brain power and the skill sets, yeah. And uh, and you're just loving what you're doing. So I, oh, yeah. I think that makes it pretty, pretty nice, pretty
3: nice mix. Oh yeah. In high school, if you had asked me, could you imagine that when you're 28 years old, you would have been working at the company for five years? I would have told you, hell no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just into skateboarding, snowboarding, racing dirt bikes. Corrugated boxes was the last thing on my mind. Yep. But. I love it. I wouldn't trade it for the world.
1: So what's next? Where are you guys going? And <laughs> where do you see Oxbox five, 10 years down the road? I don't know if we can
0: experience the same kind of growth we did for the last two. If that should occur, then a move is going to have to happen. We're going to have to go to a bigger facility.
3: Or just a separate one.
0: Or a separate one, maybe a different location, but that's to be seen. I just can't imagine that we're gonna see the kind of growth that we have been. Although, every time I tell this to Eric, every time I say, oh, the end is near, that we're not gonna <laughs> yeah. grow the, the sales are gonna start to
3: drop off. This has been going on two years now. Yeah. <laughs> to give Here's this like, a little context.
0: Again, with this conversation, we, it seems like a freight train to him. He just keeps chugging along. But I've seen it different, and so you guys
1: have. Yeah, right. we're conditioned that way, right? We can't help. I remember when I visited, you guys had just done a project with the eco-friendly box. You did that once or twice for big-time exploration projects on the South Pole. I always thought that was super neat. Maybe give the listeners a little bit of an idea of what that exactly was.
0: Yeah. So that product was developed actually for the produce industry as a replacement to wax boxes. And we learned of it and thought we could apply it to heavy-duty industrial. The biggest weakness of a heavy duty industrial corrugated box is the weather, right? That's why we still make wood boxes for people. A lot of times, no matter how heavy the corrugated box is, putting it outside or on a flatbed truck, they ain't going to work out too great. So when this product came along, it was a great kind of halfway point or maybe a hybrid product between a corrugated box and something a lot more weatherproof. And I like it because it's still. 100% 100% recyclable, it takes waste out of landfills, and it provides great value for our customers. So those, those three things make it exciting for me. And we sell actually quite a bit of it. So it's been
1: a good product for That's, us. And how the heck did that come about with the research project in the South Pole? That
0: was totally by chance. I wish I could take credit for it. I think somebody hit our website up. They saw the webpage for it, and it was a company that made rat poison, and the issue on that island was it was an old whaling port and what the ships would bring on to those islands was mostly rats. And so all those indigenous species were getting overrun with rats and the only way to get rid of them was to kill them. And you had to transport the rat poison in such a way that it could endure that journey on the water. And then when it was there, you had to get rid of the packaging, it had to be compostable. So that's what our box did. So. It's pretty unique. Yeah, it was great. It was a great story for us. And then the guy let us take footage of it, and it's up on our website. It looks like a National Geographic film. <laughs> Believe does, me, I don't have the pockets <laughs> to put that film together, but it
2: sure it looks like I did it. I just remember, fairly new at Interpac, I joined in 98. I think Guy and I were maybe 99 or 2000 in the basement of some small hotel at a trade show. Guy was on the corner. I was across the aisle from him, and we were just two young guys trying to sell anything we could to anybody that walked by. And we were on the... If you remember, we were on the end of the turn. Right. There was nobody coming down yeah. there. and We just got to know each other, and it was a lot of fun, and you've never slowed down. And you are one of the hardest working guys I know. I'm just, a, a, I'm just a carnival
1: barker. So <laughs> ah, Get you a straw hat. <laughs> That's right. Bring him on in. That'd be perfect. That's great. Well, same here, and I remember joining the industry around 2009, 2010, and you had known Tanya. We had a connection in soccer and yeah. our love for the sport. And you said the energy and bouncing off the wall. That was my initial impression of guy was million miles a minute happy energy always excited to be at an ascc meeting meet new people talk about his craft you're one of the good guys in the industry man i'm happy to hear your success yeah really happy to hear your family success because i think you're lucky there's a lot of family dynamics obviously with your sisters that can be Difficult to deal with. So, to have a very good situation with your son, that makes me happy. Yeah. So, congratulations on that success.
0: I'm a blessed guy. So, I appreciate you guys taking the time with us today. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it both.
1: Great spending
2: time with you, Eric. A little more than chasing you down a mountain. This was a little. We'll have to do it again. How about this one? No no way. (laughs) Breaking down boxes.
1: New shows will drop the first Monday of every month.
2: Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.